This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. Well, good evening. I'm used to saying good morning, but I got the first intro right, so that's, that's good. My name is Jed Gorley, and I've been here with my family in Georgia for the past six years. Uh, we haven't been to this church for a long time. It's been probably two years or more since we've been here. Um, that's because we uh, were involved in starting another church here in the, in the, uh, in the city, and it's a church that we want, our desire is for it to be a Georgian church, for it to be a local church, however that's going to look in the future. I don't speak Georgian yet, but uh, we have it translated and things like that. But um, yeah, we've been here for six years. My wife is Renee. She's with the two of the kids downstairs, and she'll be coming up uh, soon. Uh, we were actually married on the mission field. Um, we moved to Kiev, Ukraine in 1992, and we were married there. We stayed there until uh, about 2006, 2000, yeah, something like that. And then we moved to Kyrgyzstan in Central Asia and were involved in church planning there. And then after that, we moved here in 2014. Um, it's, it's great to be raising a family overseas. Two of our children are now in the States going to university and living there. Uh, but the other four are here um, with us in Georgia. And like I said, we started the church here about two and a half years ago. And um, it's been an exciting time, except for the pandemic, you know. I think half of our church existence has been virtual. And so that's come with its own set of challenges. But uh, overall, it's been so good just to see the fellowship, you know what it's like. You know what it's like to be involved in each other's lives and to be a part of a body that is just growing and you want to be together and you want to study the Word together. You want to worship God together. And uh, it's something that the world can't offer. Uh, it's so different. And so that's been a blessing. And then this um, fall, we're actually going to be a part of um, a Bible college that is moving to... Um, to here, to Tbilisi. So it's Calvary Chapel Bible College Europe is now transferring to Tbilisi, and we, Lord willing, will be having classes begin in the fall of this year. And my mother-in-law, Pam, she's there in the middle, she is uh, going to be directing the Bible College as she has been since 2007? No, two years. But you've been with the Bible College for a long time, so... Anyway, that's kind of who we are. There's my wife, Renee. She's there in the middle. Some of you I know, others are new faces, and it's good to see all of you and good to be a part of things together. Um, it's an honor, really, to, to share with you, just to be able to break open the Word of God with you. And it's great to not have to do it with translation, because then I can actually kind of, you know, just be, be myself and remember what I'm going to say, hopefully, not get lost in translation. But um, it was a blessing to have Pastor Bart share with us this morning as he broke open the, the word, a revelation, and uh, shared that. And, um, you know, wherever we are, God has something for us. He has a message for you today, I believe, from his word, and we will look in that today. Uh, today, I want to talk about something that really is common to all of us, 
And, and that's kind of nice when we can actually think about something that concerns everybody in this room. There's not a person in this room that this subject doesn't concern. It doesn't matter what church you attend, which social group you're a part of, or even what country you live in. Can you guess what it is? Any guesses? Not, not Jesus. I mean, that's the Sunday school answer, but any other guesses? Trials. Something we love to... No, not really. Something that is all of us go through. And some people might have more and others less, but it's something that all of us experience. We all go through this time of trial. Sicknesses, physical hardships, handicaps, wars, violence, injustices in this world, unfairness. You can go on and on about the things that we experience as believers in this world. Trials are common to all of us. And then we go through these times where sometimes it feels impossible to keep moving forward. Sometimes we just feel like we're barely clinging on to life. And that's, that's kind of where trials can lead us sometimes. It can make us feel despair or even doubt. Um, and so today I wanted to talk about that. I'm not going to philosophize about why bad things happen to good people or about why exist, evil exists in the world. But I am going to open up the Word and look at two things. The biblical purpose for trials and our response, what it should be in the midst of trials. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to James chapter 1 and we'll start there. If you don't have your Bibles, well, then you're going to be a little bit lost. But Oh, is it back there? Okay, good. James chapter 1. Let's read verses 1 through 4. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let's just pray again as we start to open his word. Father, thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit. And your Holy Spirit is our teacher. He leads us into all truth. And now as we open your word, as your word pierces our hearts and our ears, let it just ring true. What is of you, let it fall to the side. What is not of you, Lord, just may you apply your word to our hearts and may it have its perfect way in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is written by James, and James, as most people see this epistle, and as I see it, was the half-brother of Jesus. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother? You know, always Mr. Goody Two Sandals, you know, never made a problem, never had a hard time battling his parents and stubborn-willed. We've got some of our own stubborn-willed children, and I can understand, you know, Oh, there's one. No, never mind. <laughs> but uh, this is James. And James, his older brother, you know, Jesus was always there. And then he started teaching. He started his ministry. And James couldn't believe it. Judas, his other brothers couldn't believe it. His sisters, they thought he was crazy. They went and they tried to pull him out. But eventually, after Jesus was crucified and as, as he was 
placed in the tomb, and after he rose from the dead, he made an appearance specifically to James. And James became a believer, and he became a major leader in, in the church. And you can read about him in Acts chapter 15 especially. So it's this James that is writing. He does not start his epistle saying, James, the brother of Jesus. He starts it out as James, a slave of God, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus. He saw himself as a servant of God and a servant of Jesus. And to whom is he writing? He's writing this to the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad. These Jewish people who had become believers in the Messiah, who were now living in parts of the Roman Empire that were being persecuted from Gentiles and being persecuted by Jews at the same time. So he's writing to these people that are going through times of trial in their lives. And we see this here because he says, My brethren, this is the church. He is writing to the church. He says what? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, how many of you have this verse put up on your mirrors or on your walls in your house? Anybody? This is not one of your normal promise verses that you like to, to tack up on the walls. Count it all joy when you suffer, when you go through various trials. And I have to admit, that's a hard one for me to swallow. When I go through a hard trial in life, a testing, to come at it with joy in my heart and say, we're going to go through this and come out shining. God's going to do a work in our lives. That's not our normal response. But this is what we need to hear because this is what... James sees as being effective and dynamic in the life of the believer. And this word count, it's actually a, a financial word. It means to, to make an evaluation. Take an evaluation of the trials you're in. And there will be one side on this that always comes out the, the right way. That is for you to choose joy. That's always going to be what we have to choose. And that's always the right response how often is that to be done? Well, it says, when you fall into various trials. It's not if, it's not sometimes, but it's when you fall into various trials. That is to be our response, to count it joy. Why? How can we count this joy? Well, verse 3 says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. There's something we know, and because we know this, we can count these trials to be joy. We know this experientially based upon our own experiences or the experiences of others who have gone through this already. We know that this testing of our faith is working towards something. It's not a testing of whether I'm going to lose my faith or not. It's more like a testing of gold. Um, my my seven-year-old son, I'll talk about him again later too, he loves anything having to do with rocks and, and science and all this kind of stuff. And, and one of the things I remember reading was how to test a rock to see if it is gold or not. You know, you have pyrite, you have other things that are kind of like fool's gold. And uh, what you do is you take vinegar and you put a few drops of vinegar on the rock. And if the rock gets discolored, then you know that it's not gold. If the rock stays the same color then you know that it is gold. And that's kind of like what happens in our lives. These trials are like vinegar that is put upon our faith. 
And as we experience these trials, it brings out the genuineness of our faith, or it brings out that maybe we are actually relying upon something that is not true, that is not fully faith. And so the Lord is wanting to do that work in our life, not because He just wants us to experience pain and suffering, but because He loves us, because He has a plan for us, because there is a purpose of these trials in our lives. So our evaluation must be complete joy. These trials I'm going to embrace with joy because I know that it is working something into my life. What is it working into my life? It says here that it gives, it produces patience. Because unlike the testing gold, which just reveals the reality or not, trials for the believer test our faith. And they produce this patience if it is a, a true faith. The pressure of trials is producing something. Again, my youngest son, Isaiah, he uh, hasn't decided if he wants to be an archaeologist or a paleontologist. He's seven years old. And um, so I ordered him one of these um, blocks, you know, they're like um, rocks that inside they've already hidden fossils and things, and they give you the little hammer, the glasses, and you have to work on it. And, and he can spend hours just kind of like working on it and taking the brush and putting it away and breaking some more stuff up and working on it. And then he finds that vessel and that fossil and he cleans it up and, and it's shiny and sparkly and it's beautiful to behold. And, and I kind of see that's, that's kind of what trials are like in our life. Sometimes our faith gets encased in worldly concerns. Sometimes our faith gets encased in like, worries and, and, and anxiety and these things that just kind of keep us in bondage to fear and to the wicked one. And what God does is He comes along and He allows these trials to come into our life that, that make a breakthrough into our life in terms of faith. That's what God is doing. He is revealing that that faith is something that He has planted in our heart. You know, we, we love the verse that God is working all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And that's true. But oftentimes, that good comes through some trials and through some difficulties. But it reveals the beautiful things inside. And, and this faith that we have will be, come out as genuine. And this patience, uh, I think a better word for it here would be endurance. Because there's another word for patience that, that won't confuse us if we have a different word there. Endurance is, especially here, it's more like a putting up of circ with circumstances because it's going to result in something. And it says here that it's going to result in a perfect work or maturity. Maturity, complete, lacking nothing, it says. And that's in God's eyes. We see our weaknesses, we see our frailties, we see our insecurities and our inabilities. When God allows these trials to come into our life, it's not a failure, but it's actually something that God is allowing to work maturity into our lives. If you skip down to verse 12, I know I didn't tell you all the verses I was going to use, so I'm sorry. Down in verse 12, it said, blessed is the man. Think, think about this. Uh, James, uh, half-brother Jesus, who gave us the Sermon on the Mount, 
Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are seeking righteousness. I think in his mind, you know, he was really touched by the words of Jesus. He, he has some beatitudes in this epistle for us as well. Blessed is the man who endures testing, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed, oh, how happy is the man who endures trials. Why? Because when he goes through this process of being tested, when he goes through this and it comes out like gold, he is approved, then he will receive the crown of life. I think we need to see that this crown of life, maybe it is a reward that we receive, maybe it's an actual crown that God gives, but we remember and hearken back to Jesus' words about the abundant life in John chapter 10 that he promises. We, we don't want to just live a Christian life and barely make it into heaven. We want to live an abundant Christian life and have a great entry into heaven. And that's what trials allow to happen in our lives. If there's no trial, there's no resistance, there's very little strength that can be built. I, I'm not uh, an athlete anymore. I used to swim in high school and, and do all that kind of stuff. But when you're training, when you're working out, you do things that are not necessarily pleasant. We used to have to get up every morning at 4.30 in order to be in the swimming pool at 5 o'clock in practice. We had to go after school to work out with weights and things. And if there's nothing that you are resisting against, you are not going to get stronger. If there's no problems in your life, you are not going to grow mature. And so the Lord allows these things in us. Of course, when we're going through it, Lord, help. Lord, where are you? Like David, you know, I'm ready to go under. I need your help. And we just cry out because we don't see the end picture. Let's look at now James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. And we'll see at the end of this passage, there was also someone else that didn't see the end of the picture, the end of the story when he was going through the trials. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of the suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So here he writes again about patience. He writes again about trials. He writes again about suffering. And he writes again about being blessed, those who endure that are blessed. And he writes to brethren, verses 9, 10, and 11. Again, he mentions brethren. He mentions brethren, I think, like 19 times in this book. This is something that is written for us as believers. And to what are we called? He begins, he says, therefore be patient. Now, this is a different word from the patient in chapter 1. This, this is more of a long-suffering. 
You know, love is long-suffering. It's the word that comes with having to, to bear up under it and to, to push through, uh, not to accept it with passivity and just kind of deal with it, but to have this, have this um, long-suffering that, that we don't turn to, we're slow to anger, I guess you could say another word is for this. Um, we are to be patient. And that's, chapter 1 had more to do with our circumstances and the things that we go through. This chapter has more to do with people. You know, it's not just war and conflict and sicknesses and things like that that press down on us, but it can be other people. You know, is there anybody here that's never had a conflict or a problem with another person? Oh, (laughs) honesty, that's good. We all go through times where people let us down. We go through those times where we're hit on the cheek and we've got to turn the other cheek when we have to go the extra mile. We all go through those times where people let us down. People treat us unfairly. There are injustices in the world and people are going to treat you unfairly. And that's something that we just have to realize is a part of these trials that come into our life. And this word, like I said, it means slow to anger. Why? Chapter 1, verse 20, it says, The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Why do we need to be slow to anger? Sometimes I've seen people that I really kind of admire. They seem like the Jesus who would turn over the tables and not let any injustice happen. But it can very easily be this wrath of man. It can be very easily this anger that is inside of us. Yes, maybe it's an injustice. But, you know, we need to be very slow to anger because the wrath of man can never produce the righteousness of God. And that's what we want to see in people's lives. We want to see righteousness uh, implanted into their hearts. We want to see righteousness prevail in this country. And it's not going to happen if we get the right human elected to power. It's not going to happen if we can force our way and we can demonstrate and do all these things. Again, I'm not saying we have to be passive about it. But we need to have self-restraint. This word is about restraining uh, yourself. How long are we supposed to do this? Well, verse 7 says of chapter 5, until the coming of the Lord, until Jesus returns. That's how long. That's long-suffering. And that's when all of these wrongs are going to be righted. That's when all of these injustices are going to be made just. They're going to be uh, dealt with. God, the judge, is coming to this world. Jesus is going to make all things right. He's going to make all things true. Um, And so that needs to be the object of our expectation and our longing. We are called the bride of Christ, and the groom is coming for us. Three times in this passage, it talks about the coming of the Lord. Verse 8, the coming of the Lord is at hand. Verse 9, the judge is standing at the door. But back up in verse 7, it says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit on the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. So James gives us this example. Um, Just as Jesus gave examples of the farmer, the sower went out to sow, James also gives an an example from agriculture of the farmer who waits patiently. He knows that the harvest is coming. The farms in Israel, they plant a little bit differently than what we're used to 
at least in my country and probably even, yeah, even here, they plant them in the fall. And there's a little bit of rain in the fall that comes, and then there's a period of dryness. And then there's a latter rain that comes in about February time. And that, that latter rain gives this final boost to the harvest. So when the harvest comes, it's already received all of this rain and all of this growth. And farmers wait patiently because they know that this is coming. I'm from Indiana originally. And if you know anything about Indiana, there, there is more than corn in Indiana. But there's a lot of corn in Indiana. There's a lot of farms, a lot of... My wife grew up on a farm. And, um, it's, and I've talked with a lot of farmers. And one thing that I would say of the farmers that I know is that they are patient, you know. And so that's kind of an interesting example here. They, they are patient because they know that, that you can't control the weather. You can't control uh, when the hail comes. You can't control when the floods come. All you can do is endure it. All you can do is go through it and try to plan for it, try to, to, to plant at the right time, and, and these kind of things. And, and so that's how we are to be. We can't control when the next trial is going to come into our life. But as a farmer, we can be patient. And we can know that Jesus is coming. The final harvest is coming. And he is going to make all things right. And so no matter what I'm going through, I can go through it with hands that are empty, not holding anything back, hands that are open, ready to receive anything that comes from my loving Heavenly Father. Because he only is allowing those things into my life that he knows are going to make me mature and complete, are going to produce patience, are going to show that there's a real faith that's involved. And down in verse 8, he says, You also be patient. Again, be patient, be patient, be long-suffering, be long-suffering. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, normally when I read um, about establishing hearts in the Bible, it's usually something that the Lord himself does. He establishes our hearts. He quiets our hearts. He does these things in our life. But here it's in the middle voice. It's, in, it's, it's you yourself, you are to establish your own hearts. This is something that we're called to do. We're told that we have to have a part in this. Now, I just wanted to look at four ways quickly here as we come to an end soon. Don't worry, I'm watching the time. <laughs> four ways that we can establish our hearts, okay? Everybody following me okay? Tracking? All right. Now, these all are having to do with look. I've just made this kind of a little easy. First one is look up. Colossians chapter 3. If you want to turn there, you can. If not, I'll just read it for you. Colossians chapter 3, Paul is writing, and he is writing um, to the church in Colossae. And here in chapter 3, he talks about where our gaze is to be. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, 
Again, Jesus is coming. Then you will also appear with him in glory. So Paul tells us that we are to look up. This is one of the first things that we can do to establish our hearts, to, to put them on firm footing, to, to, to get them fixed and in a right setting. We are to be seeking those things which are above. You know, um, my father-in-law was a, a wonderful father-in-law, father, pastor, friend. And I heard some people say, oh, you know, he just walks like he's got his head in the clouds. See, he's always talking about heaven, always wondering, you know, why don't we sing songs about going to heaven anymore and these kind of things. His mind was fixated on heaven. And you've probably heard it said, the guy is so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. I think that's a lie. I think it's the opposite. If you want to be earthly good, you need to be even more heavenly minded. And so that's why Paul says here, seek those things which are above. We've been raised with Christ. We died to this world. Now our focus is on heaven. Our mind is to be on things above. That is what we are to do. And so the first thing I think would be to look up. Get your eyes off of your problem. Get your eyes off of this besetting sin. Get your eyes off of these trials and look up to him and allow him to do a work of implanting hope back into your life. Another thing we are to do is to look back. And for this one, um, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 12 and 15. 1 Chronicles 16. And here it says, Remember, look back. Remember his marvelous works, which he has done, his wonders and his judgments of his mouth. Remember his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations. We are not only to look up, but we are to look back. We are to remember God's works in the word of God. We are to remember God's covenant with us that is based upon the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. We are to remember God's works in our lives that He has already brought us through. You can look at Psalm 106. Um, just tie that down. If you're taking notes, you can write down this and look it up later. But uh, I'll just read a couple of verses from Psalm 106. The children of Israel, God also called them to remember. And down in verse... Um, 13, it says, they soon forgot his works. They didn't remember. They did not wait for his counsel, but they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness. They were, they were consumed. They were encased in this desire for, for, for food, for more. And they tested God in the desert. And he gave them requests but sent leanness to their soul. I always thought that was an interesting verse. God answered their prayer. He gave them what they wanted, but the result was a leanness in their soul. The result was them shriveling up in faith. We need to remember his works and his ways and his paths and, and, and go forward in that. So we look up, we look back, and then back in James chapter 5, verse 13, we are to look forward. Chapter 5.13 says, If anyone among you, is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. That's our forwardness. That's our forward look. We pray in expectation that God is going to answer. 
We pray in expectation that God knows what I'm doing and he has already predetermined an answer for what's going on. Whether that's allow me to go through and to fail so that I get stronger or to give me victory out of some situation. I don't know, but I expect God to work. We are saved in hope, according to Romans chapter 8. This hope is something that, that is, is like an anchor in our soul. And if we lose that anchor, then we are more likely to drift during the trials and during all the pains and suffering in this world. So we look up, we look back, we look forward. And the last one I wanted to look at was here in Hebrews chapter 10. We are to look around. Paul, in many places, says to walk circumspectly. But here, I have kind of a different, um, different verse. Down in verse 24, it says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Again, the day of the Lord is our motivator. Jesus is coming soon. What am I to do? I'm to look around. I'm to be to encouraging love, encouraging good works. I'm to be considering one another. This is what we are to be doing. Uh, looking up, looking back, looking forward, and looking around. Finally, back in James, and we'll finish maybe <laughs> with this. James chapter 5, where we were. James gave them something to look back to and to look around to because we know that those who have died and gone before us are brothers and sisters in Christ and they are waiting for us to, to join them in heaven. He says, my brethren, verse 10, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. So he says the, the prophets are examples. You know, how did they live? They lived fulfilling the, the word of God. They lived fulfilling God's will. They lived in a way that was doing specifically what God wanted them to do. Did they go through it with victory? Did they have no problems? You know, because sometimes we, we, have to, we, we think that, you know, if, if I'm doing everything right, if I'm not messing up, then I should be exempt from all these problems. But what do we see in the prophets? Jeremiah, he came to a point where he said, there are no other prophets in Jerusalem except for me. I'm the only one left. Isaiah was sawn in two because he was fulfilling God's word. He was walking according to the plan of God. We live in a time and culture that's completely antagonistic to us. It is against us. There are things that are not fair. And here in James, uh, James points out about the wealthy you know, that the wealthy were taking advantage of people. I remember seeing an article about 2020, how everybody was losing money except the top 1%. They made money. Some of them made like four times the amount of money that they only had. And we can sit there and think, that's unfair, that's unjust. And James was writing about this. Don't look at that. Look around. Look back to the prophets. Remember God's perfect uh, plan. And then finally here in verse 11, it says, we count them blessed to endure. We count them happy. Those who are enduring trials, they are happy. You've heard of the perseverance of Job 
and you've seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. This is the only mention of Job in the New Testament. And, and it's an interesting place where he is here. Job, James writes here that you've seen, uh, heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. We get to read the end of the book of Job. Job did not have the fortune of reading the book of Job. And so when, how was he going to respond? How was he going to act? What were these trials going to do in his life? He, we, we know what he did now. Uh, we know that he, was, he lost everything. We know that he was left with his wife who said, just go and commit suicide, basically. But he would not turn on his Redeemer. He knew that there was one who would redeem him. And he says, but in this, there's something else. In Job... I don't read Job and come away with the picture that God is merciful and compassionate. But here, that's one of the things we see that we are supposed to understand from the book of Job and from his experience, that the Lord is very compassionate and very merciful. I'll close with one more verse. Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His compassions are new every morning. He is faithful. There was a man by the name of Benjamin Coleman, I've been reading some of his works recently. He lived at the end of the 17th, beginning of the 18th century in North, in New England, in well, what became New England in the United States. He um, was a minister of the gospel, and he was married three times. His other wives passed away. He had three children, and um, he had to bury all three of his children before he himself died. He was captured by the French pirates. He was put in prison. He went through quite a bit of trials, as many people did at that time. And he said this regarding this verse in Lamentations. I am now to go on and say these divine compassions and mercies, that they fail not. No, they are new every morning. They continue and abide, keep their course, and go their round returning on us as constantly as the day and as the sun do. Every day brings new mercies, and they are like rays of light, bright and conspicuous, in infinite endless successions. That is God's mercy. That is his compassion. When you are going through trials, remember that God is full of mercy. He's full of compassion. He has a way out for you. He is faithful to keep his promises, and he is working all things together for good to those of you that are called to Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are not a distant God. We thank you that you are near. We thank you that you are not a God that we've created, but you are a God that we still don't fully comprehend. Thank you for your word that reveals to us your divine care. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org.
Thanks for listening.